Hello, and welcome to The Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. On today's episode, we're lucky to speak to Melbourne Football Club captain and three-time All-Australian, Max Gorn. Maxie is a great leader who has time for everyone. He's a man that loves the hard work, but also finds time off the field to enjoy himself. There's some seriously funny stories and moments that he shares whilst addressing some of the key moments that shaped his career. From the early years of his career spent on the sidelines dealing with injuries to becoming one of the most elite ruckmen in the competition. Maxi Gorn, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on, mate. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Melbourne Football Club captain, three time All Australian, and uh, two time Keith Bowie True Scots uh, medalist, mate. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, guy. Uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, mate. It's, uh, let's just start off, mate. With uh, born in Australia, um, lived in New Zealand for a little bit, and back to Australia. What what sport were you playing when you were uh, when you were over in New Zealand? I wouldn't imagine it was going to be AFL, would it? Uh, no, no, AFL hasn't really made it over to, especially the <laughs> South Island of New Zealand. South yeah. Island of New Zealand is is stuck in the 1980s still. Um, no, look, I only lived in New Zealand for um, a couple of years before I even turned five. So all my primary school and high school was in Australia. And yep. um, to be fair, I, I, I even called myself an Australian growing up until a point when I realised I actually wasn't. Um, even though I'm born in Australia, uh, my family are all Kiwi. Um, they all say they're Kiwi, so I suppose that makes me Kiwi. But um, I played rugby for a little bit when I first started uh, a sport over here in in Australia, which was um, that's almost as difficult as finding <laughs> football in New Zealand and finding rugby in Melbourne. Um, but my old man played rugby here for a club called Powerhouse, so I was just yeah. part of the junior club there. Yeah, good mate. Yeah, it's uh. Would you would you classify yourself as if Australia were playing New Zealand in a in a cricket World Cup now? Would you be on the Kiwi side? Uh, well, the Black Caps are probably my favourite team in the in the world. Um, so yeah. I'm very heavily New Zealand in cricket and obviously rugby union. Yeah. Um, but I'm not that against Australia and a lot of the other sports. I do find their cricket team guy yeah. just a tiny little bit arrogant, which makes it slightly yeah. easy to support against them as well. Um, but to be fair, I did watch the tests and I do have some guys that I like in that team, like a, a Travis Head and a Kane Richardson and yeah. Adam Zamper. And there's this new wave of cricketers coming in for Australia that look uh, quite good. Yeah, it's a little bit different, isn't it? The, the, the new yeah. team, they're sort of coming in and a little bit more, um, a bit more indie in a way, aren't they, them boys, which is, which is good. And they've like their coffees and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. but I, I, reckon if, I reckon if Kane Williamson was looking for nearly a, a seven foot tall uh, bowler that can smash a few down at the end of the order. I reckon uh, you might be able to put your name up for the next World Cup in three or four years' time. Mate, Liz, I still I went to the 2015 <laughs> World Cup yeah. at the MCG. Awesome I, I, yeah, I went to the final. and um, It was an amazing World Cup to be a Black Cap fan because we took mm. the world by storm and um, beat South Africa in an amazing uh, semi-final. But unfortunately, the final didn't go with plans. So I'm happy to be in the next World Cup if they need me. But there's this uh, the Kiwi bowlers are fine. Southie and Bolt. Southie's found a I, pretty good. I was I was calling for his head to to about two years ago, and now he's back. <laughs> uh, Trent Bolt, um, yeah. Carl Jamiston. We got a new fella on on the yeah, scene. So, yeah, I don't think I'd get a look in. 
No, I don't know, mate. You are right, though. They're thinking about it now. New Zealand in World Cup cricket, like, unbelievable, aren't they? Two, two finals in a row now. Uh, with a current, uh, current world number one team. Mm, and they probably should have won that World Cup. That was probably one of the stiffest things I reckon I've ever seen off Ben Stokes' back. <laughs> I, had, I, stayed up, I stayed up till it was 5 a.m. Melbourne time when it happened. So I, and it was after a game. So after a game, we could have a couple of beers. So it worked out quite well. Yeah. I had a couple of beers. And then the pub, the pub closed at about three. So I realized I had to go home. So I watched it on my phone and then got home and watched it by myself that last hour. <laughs> That was phenomenal. Like even Trent Bolt dropping the catch on the on the um, on the fence, yeah. and then coming off Stokes's bat, and then the actual um, when it got into the um, the super over, what happened in the super over as well was comical. So yeah, that was it was a comical one hour, and we didn't win the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, somehow they didn't get there. We'll, we'll, we'll bring it back to footy, mate, because that's what I brought you on here to, to speak yeah. about. I think I got lost track there. Um, <laughs> with I think for anyone that's listening that doesn't quite understand AFL is that in your 18th year in the TAC Cup, it's, it's a very important year for you and it's the year to get drafted. And it's probably if you miss that boat, it is hard to get back. And what, how was your under 18 year? Because I, I didn't, it's funny when, you, when you're actually teammates with someone or, or know someone as, as you're playing with them or seeing them, you don't actually know a lot about them until you sort of, even for me, some of the things I researched about you um, last night and, and got to, found, to find out that you actually had an ACL during your under-18 year. And um, how was that going into the, the TAC Cup system, thinking that you're going to get drafted and having to go through a, a serious injury like that? Uh, yeah, um, that, uh, that knee reco stems a few things for me. Like it made me the person I am today as well. So I, I, I'm never not going to not wish that I didn't do it. Uh, but the timing of it was horrific. Um, yeah. It was round round three uh, in that top age year, and uh, I'd just been chosen to play Vic Metro as well, which was um, exciting news. Uh, I wasn't a childhood prodigy. I'd literally just come into the Tac Cup system around that time. Um, so some good football got me in front of the Vic Metro guys, and I was potentially going to debut for them and. Um, I did it down in uh, Geelong against the Falcons uh, in the round three game, which was um, horrific because I thought that was it. Uh, it also was in the middle of year 12 exams, which is um, a pretty difficult time for a year 12 student as well, the, mid- the mid-year exams. And um, I had to worry about that. And I had some stuff going on at home as well. And it was a, it was a real big whirlwind of uh, a couple of events all in one. And um, I'm glad it happened because I was still able to get drafted, which was lucky. Um, and then it, it made me grow up and made me learn about adversity. And um, I then obviously went on and did another one later on. It just gave me some tips on how to handle these things going forward. But uh, not ideal doing it in round three of a of a tack cup year. If, yeah, for those that don't know footy, Doc, if you miss that year um, and don't play good football, like I, I, I know some people that were touted to go pick one as a 17-year-old. And then they're 18 year old. They play, They had a bad year, and they they don't even get drafted. So it's purely based on that year. Um, otherwise, there's other ways into the AFL, like you found, guy. Um, more more obscure ways, but as a 17 year old, that's probably the way. Do you reckon? Do you reckon that knocked you you, you down the draft a little bit as well? Because I think what you went pick 34, you would have probably gone a lot higher if you played the rest of that year out. Yeah, I, I like to say pick one, but you know you never know it. <laughs> I of might course. have gone top five. Um, uh, look, I, I, uh, I, had some, I was really lucky because I played 
it probably good in hindsight because I played two really good games round one and round two, so I didn't have to play another good game. So they was just it was just based off those just based off those off those two games. Um, I'll tell you back to uh, you ended up debuting in in 2011. I'll start off with what was that like to finally reach the pinnacle of actually making a debut in the AFL from all them years of hard work and. Like a lot of people, it, it is a little bit of a different journey for you to go from Australia to New Zealand, back to Australia, and then make your debut. So what was what was that like, and what were the emotions like around then? Uh, yeah, so I missed, um, I was on the list all 2010, but the knee reco uh, had me in rehab, unfortunately, for the for majority of that year. I think I might have played a VFL game at the end. Um, so then 2011 came along, and the first 10 or so games I was in the VFL, and uh, we had a big injury crisis for, for tools. Uh, Mark Jamar went down, Paul Johnson went down, John Meeson went down, Jake Spencer went down, all in a matter of uh, a week or two weeks. And um, I was actually in the VFL twos then, and I got promoted to VFL ones and then seniors in the AFL ones in a matter of two weeks. So it all happened really quickly. Um, it was a Friday night game against the Bombers. We won by 20-odd points. Um, I had a set shot at the end of the game, which I hooked left from 10 metres out. Yeah. Um, and then the runner called me off and I got a standing ovation from the crowd. I've never... That was a standing <laughs> ovation for mediocrity right there and then. And that moment is the reason why I haven't improved my goal kicking because they accepted mediocrity as a Melbourne crowd then. <laughs> um, but it was... Yeah. It was a world... Like, that was crazy. Like, my parents... Still don't know the rules of AFL. They think they do now, but um, to be on a Friday night at the MCG around 70,000 crazy Melbourne and Essendon supporters and being involved in that, I'm sure my parents would have been absolutely sideways. One thing that I was quite interested in uh, with that game as well was that I didn't know him particularly well, uh, but for the time that I was at Melbourne, his legacy was like incredible i think the amount of times i heard his name or um in, in jim steins and and he presented you um your jumper and also in 2015 you took uh took his number 37 and then changed it to to number 11 what was i i personally don't know and I'm, I'm quite curious to understand is what kind of um impact did he have on on your career and i, I think i never knew him but looking at you as a person um now you, you're someone that is quite outgoing and, and a good leader and, and the number one ruckman in the competition and, and similar to Jim. Um, was he someone that was a, a role model for you or um, what was he like in, in your career? Uh, yeah, I can, I can speak about Jim. Um, Jim is, uh, I would say, my biggest influence as a person, uh, not necessarily a footballer, because um, when I got to meet Jim, uh, he was president yeah. of the club um, he obviously wasn't a coach. He, he wasn't involved in day-to-day footy stuff. So as a footballer, I'm not sure. Um, although my development as a footballer probably came when I developed as a person as well. But um, the one, my one big regret with Jim is I never got, I never got to meet Jim before he was sick. Um, I only got to know him uh, when he was really unwell. And um, I got to know him quite, quite, quite well. Uh, that draft that I was just talking about, um, pick one, Scully, pick two, Trengrove. Uh, pick uh, 10, I think, was Gisbert's, and pick 15 was Tapscott. So we had four guys in the top 18 picks or something, and um, you can see that all the rage would have been about those four players. But Jim sort of pinpointed me out and um, made a big deal about me as well, which I was finding quite weird. And He realised that I was a pretty different kid. Um, 
and he did things pretty differently. Like he was a, a Irish ruckman, almost one of the first Irish men to come across who played 250 consecutive games um, and changed the, revolutionised the ruck role um, to what it is today. And he saw that in me. And I think that's the connection we had straight away. And I was a real timid kid when I first got to the club. Um, but I'm not a timid person. And he, I think he sensed that, that I wasn't being myself. So he tried to make me feel as welcome as possible and tell me that it's okay to be different. And um, I like to think I've taken that on uh, with how I've been a person and, uh, and, and, and a footballer. Um, and I think that's why he's the biggest influence by far. Um, lucky to wear number 37 originally and then number 11. Um, we're doing things quite similar. He won a Brownlow. I'll win one this year. So um, we're, all, we're doing things quite similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, mate. I th- that that's that's really good. I think that's something that I was quite curious about when I was reading a few things last night. And that's yeah, like I said, I, I never got to meet him, but he um, seemed like a great person. Um, I think for for moving on to the the, the twenty twelve season, I think that was your, your second knee, Rico, wasn't it? And this time they thought it was a, a meniscus tear, but then it ended up being a, an ACL tear after after scans and. Obviously, another year missed and um, in rehab again. Yeah, so um, played, obviously, uh, about three or four games in 2011 and then uh, hurt the knee Christmas time pre-season. Um, and, guy, you've done a pre-season. The worst time to do an injury is the day before the Christmas break. Yeah. Um, by fun. a country mile because Christmas break is you're three weeks away from the club and you just want to be fit, free and go away and do your thing. But... Um, I unfortunately had to go in for my second Rico. Uh, there's a bit of a story behind that um, with the meniscus. We all They didn't think it was that bad. And the surgeon actually said to me um, just before the operation, he said, mate, I, I think we're just going in there for a, menis- for a meniscus repair, but just sign this form just in case if the ACL is damaged, I'll do it while you're under. Um, and then I woke up to the news that I'd, he'd done me ACL. So... Um, that was pretty devastating, but the whole 2012, once again, I, I, I live with no regrets and that had changed me into the person and the player I am now as well. Um, learning a lot about myself, about different people, how different people manage different things. And, um, I was in, in rehab that whole year with Mitch Clark and, um, and we, and we know the battles that Mitch Clark has had and being firsthand to watching him with those battles and trying to help him through those battles as a 19-year-old who's played four games. And um, it was an interesting little combo myself and Mitch. I think he wanted to kill me some days <laughs> and then he wanted to hug me in the next day. But, um, yeah, that, it, two, two Ricos, only played four games, coming out of contract. Like, it was a pretty um, a year where I didn't really know what, what was going on. But lucky enough, the club showed a little bit of faith. Yeah, I can see why as well. Um, and then that preseason, you came back around training quite strong, and then an, another little blip in a in a hammy injury uh, in preseason, and put back onto the long term injury list. Like you must have been thinking, how how on earth is my luck this bad at the moment? Yeah, that um that hamstring was actually. There's a bit of a story behind that one as well. <laughs> um, I uh, I was. At a spring in, in the spring carnival, I uh, went to the races, uh, and Derby Day was the weekend. Was the weekend before we had to go back to training. Yeah. Um, so I went to Derby Day, had a bit of fun. Which I mean, majority of people would have been having beers on a Saturday anyway. But I managed to make my way to the Confidential and the Herald Sun, 
uh, with a drink in each hand and a girl under each arm. <laughs> of course um, and that made the paper. That made the paper on the Monday yeah. when we had training. And I tore my hammy off the bone during a 150 at training. Oh, no. And Mark, Mark Neal basically pinned that whole hamstring injury on my races, adventures. And um, I got, had to sit in front of the leadership group and talk about my preparation for training. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best week of my life, that one. <laughs> Um, so the hamstring actually set me back, uh, pretty much the whole preseason. I couldn't get that right. But come round one, uh, I think I was able to play a VFL game. So I missed the whole preseason, but I was able to get there just for the season, uh, proper. Jeez, you, you timed that well then. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> Although I, I, I do, it's much easier to train in pre-seasons than it is to do the off legs and the cross training yeah. and be in the gym and not train. So. Um, looking back, I I think I thought I was getting away with it, but you'd much rather be out there training. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, mate. But um, yeah. I, I think one that that stems to a, another thing, isn't it? I think with players that have long term injuries, some of them treat it differently to to some others. I think uh, in my experiences, I probably didn't use the time off in in rehab to to best effect and and studying and work experience. Did that entrepreneurial side of yours? come out in that 18 months off or, or were you sort of still thinking about footy as a 20, 21 year old then, or was it about getting away from the club? Uh, yeah. One, one thing um, I don't think our club had a great grass grass line was um, off the field stuff uh, for our young players and looking at what our young players get today compared to what I had 10 years ago. You're almost forced to do university now or something off-field compared to back when I started. But what they did do is they gave us a couple of cert fours in a few areas, which was which was handy if you if you did go down that path. But um, it, it really it, it was up to you, and because uh, I've got a relatively creative mind, I didn't want to just um, go to the standard university course like the rest of the boys were doing. Go do business. They all do business. Um, and I'd rather create my own business and, and learn as I go and stuff like that. And um, we, we started, I think that the table business was first. And yeah. um, we actually had to fold the table business because it got too busy. Like we really? had tables because yeah, we could only work one day a week with a day off. And yeah. um, it got to a point where we were quoting people six months waiting time for their table. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Six months, that's perfect. I'm like, who wants a yeah. table in six months? You want it now and it got way too big on us too quickly and there was a chance to go get someone else to make them for us but we didn't really like that idea and, yep. um so and also uh the matt jones got the got the sack as well so yep. he had to go find a real job doesn't help does it um yeah and i did a little bit of teaching at uni as well but that became a little bit hard with footy so i tried a few things there in those early years yeah um, but they're all little learnings to, to hopefully what I get uh, post, post footy. Yeah, I think that year as well, did, did you end up going and coaching your junior side's second senior team, I read? Uh, so it was Ormond, yeah. yeah. I went back to Ormond um, and coached the under-16s yep. um, and then followed them uh, the next year to when they went to under-17s, um, which I think is the what most important time of an... Yeah. Well, I just, yeah, an experience for them, an experience for me yeah. as well. Like, that's adolescence is such a, like, that 16, 17 year old age is such a funny stage to study, like, to, to be around and watching young kids develop. And um, funny enough, one of them ended up being an AFL player on our, on oh, our really? Melbourne list. Who was that? In, uh, yeah, Lock, 
Lockie Filipovic. Oh, yeah. Um, he Great was, man. He was the Ruckman. Yeah. He was the Ruckman that I <laughs> coached when I was at Ormond under 16. So that's quite phenomenal in itself. But um, that was, yeah, that was a big commitment. I didn't realise how big of a commitment that'd be that Tuesday, Thursday, every week, and then trying to get to every game if I was playing or not. Yeah. Um, was quite hard. But yeah, that, I'd learn a lot about. Um, how how to lead, how young people uh, deal with different things, and it's helped me being a leader now. Watching eight eighteen year olds come into our system as well. Yeah, that, that's great. That's a great way to 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 do it, isn't it? And understand how to lead. It's probably something that other players can look to do. for sure. In in two thousand and fifteen, yep. you were in and out of the ones um, a little bit, and that was I read an article about how you credited Paul Roos to actually see where you were at as a, as a player and as, as a person at, at the footy club. And um, I think that just sort of struck me is, was that the year that you, that you turned around and went, I'm, I'm a really good talent, but I'm not, getting, I'm not reaching that potential that I could, I could get to? Is that, is that fair to say that, that Paul Ruse was someone that you actually realised that actually I can be a bit better here? Uh, well, they're all those three years there, 2013, 14, 15, were all quite similar. I played yeah. half AFL, half AFL, and I would have had the same of same amount of games in both competitions in for two weeks, out out for two weeks, and um, it got to a point where 2015, I wasn't even getting in. I was just uh, the first seven games I was in the VFL, um, and I, I I really needed someone to tell me that I'm not a developing ruck that's just going to get a game once Jamar's retired. Yeah. And, um, Rusey blatantly put it like that. He he made me work hard for it. Where I thought I was this talented ruckman who was just going to be the put time into me, and I'll be there once Jamar's done. Um, and I'm I'm really glad he did that. I'm not sure if he if he knows it had that effect on me, but um, I stuck my back up to it for so long. And negative feedback is hard to um, grasp, especially when um, you're a young developing adult like I was. And I wasn't coping with that sort of feedback and. It got to a point where um, we sat down all as a group and uh, lucky enough that uh, that little moment, once I started taking the feedback and started accepting it and started, that only went for two or three weeks and I was in the AFL team and then played an absolute blinder um, in 2015 and I haven't played in the BFL since. So once I got the message, um, I was able to switch, but it just took a while and the coaches must have been frustrated with me because I I had some games in the VFL. I had one game against Footscray. Would have been round four or three in the VFL in 2015. I had zero disposals. Um, and I don't reckon I even got a hit out. Like, I was playing full forward. Jake Spencer was in the ruck. I was doing nothing. I was getting sledged by every single player on the, out on the <laughs> ground. Um, and that was, a, that was a dark day. And then I remember Ruzi the next day said, basically pinpointed the whole VFL struggling on me. Um, and then I had my back up and I'm saying F this and F that to all the teammates around looking for a softie, looking for someone to tell me that I'm a gun. Yeah. Um, and all that just spirals out of control until you finally just sit down and um, look in the mirror and realise you know, that they're not just going to pick you. You can easily, they can easily just cut you, you easily just straight out. And um, lucky enough, it happened. They gave me a chance and um, I haven't really looked back since. And now a message from our amazing partner, Mendel. The Athlete Diaries is proudly supported by Mendel, 
a Melbourne-based non-for-profit apparel label aimed at igniting conversations and raising awareness around men's mental health. All proceeds from sales go directly to a charity of the month. With the discount code AD20, just for our listeners, you can join the Mendel movement today with 20% off at www.mendel.com.au. Can you can you take me through that that Geelong game where you had a fair few hitouts, a couple of goals, and in the media you started you, you said that you felt invincible on the ground. You felt like you you were invincible on the ground, and then the next day you walked into training and Paul Roos changed your name tag on the board to Mister Invincible. <laughs> you got to be careful <laughs> what you say. Uh, I hadn't done much media. That was that yeah. would have been close to me fifteenth, twentieth game. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but. Um, I definitely hadn't been interviewed post-game. Like, I hadn't played that sort of game in the AFL. And that was my first one. And Kingy just yeah. said, how did you feel out there after you took a couple of marks earlier? I said, I felt like once you take a couple of marks, you feel invincible. <laughs> and my name tag had changed to Mr. Invincible. Um, and I was getting a bit of a hard time that way. But uh, that was my third game in a row. Um, that year, I played uh, Collingwood and St. Kilda. And the funny thing in the St. Kilda game, we lost by a kick. Uh, we were in front with 12 seconds to go and there was a centre bounce and St Kilda won the game. So they kicked a goal within that 12 seconds. Um, and I hit the ball in the centre bounce straight down a St Kilda player's throat. I think it was Jack Stephen. And Ruzi, after the game, basically pinpointed the whole loss on my hit out. Like, it was phenomenal. Like, and so I had that much anger going into that Geelong game. The, the, lucky enough I got another chance and I needed I wanted to prove my own point that I could do it and I think the whole team had a bit of anger in that Geelong game and we just went out there and I, I took a couple of marks early uh, Geelong didn't play a recognised Ruckman they had Blitzards and Josh Walker they pulled out a Ruckman okay. as a late withdrawal um, so I, this is my opportunity this is my chance um, I, little do I know Blitzards is the best runner known to mankind and Josh Walker <laughs> can mark pretty much any ball that goes over his head. But um, I, I really enjoyed that game and we won by 30 points against Geelong in Geelong, a place where we've lost by 186 about two years before. Yeah. Um, on Corey Enright's 300, it was, it was basically going down there and um, stealing, stealing the show off them. And it was a great, it was a great drive home, that, 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 that drive. We stopped past Dan Murphy's, which is uh, the first bottle just out of Geelong. Yeah. Um, I wasn't driving, of course, and was able to have a couple of beers on the way home. I really enjoy uh, that, 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 that win. Yeah, good. Mate, I think, like you touched on, I think that's when you said that that sort of recognising that you could be better and recognising the things that you needed to improve on. Since then, even though you had, have had a few niggling injuries and stuff, you haven't had the same reconstructions and, and all this. How has your body being able to, to stay resilient? Is it age? Is it uh, professionalism? What have you put it down to? Uh, I, every, everything into one. Um, mm. I, I'm a big believer that every little percent uh, matters. Um, and I'd say uh, the biggest one I think would be continuity. I just think um, I was getting injured a lot when I was injured and I just kept getting in. In injured and I got that little um, lucky run of having a year without being in, in injured and training every single session and doing a little bit more on top of training and what I sort of realised is I responded really well to a high workload 
Um, and my body didn't really like having time off. And that would be when I was at risk for injury. And the noticeable thing in the last six years is every time I have had a tiny little injury has been a reaction to um, having the week off or being off legs for the week or being sore leading into that game. And um, So, I mean, it's not the best thing I want to hear. I don't want to hear that I have to train my ass off to <laughs> not get injured, but um, I honestly think that's just that high workload and that continuity suits the suits my body for some weird reason. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's different. It, was there a different mindset as well that changed from you understanding what your body needed and uh, what you needed to do professionally to try and stay on the park for as long as you can or was it just something that you knew you had to do? Uh, yeah, there's, I mean... My first Rico, I would not have done the rehab to a level. I would have done 60% of, yeah. the, of, of the rehab I was supposed to. And then my second Rico, I probably would have done 80% of the rehab I was supposed to. And um, all the point to my last uh, surgery that I would have got, I finally realized that I got to do 100, if not 110% yep. of what this And I, I apologize for Melbourne fans or anyone that wanted me to perform a little bit earlier in my career, I just wasn't. I wasn't at the mental headspace to be that professional kid that we wanted, and um, I got dealt injuries that needed that, and I probably wasn't there to be to be that guy. But um, I wouldn't change a thing because it's made me learn everything along the, along the way. And uh, I haven't had a surgery for. I've had me. I've torn my hamstring a couple of times since, yeah. but. Um, my knee is genuinely okay, which is good. Um, I know a lot of people have ongoing knee injuries when they have the sort of trauma that I've had to mine, but at the moment it's um, going quite well, which is good because I want to do some stuff after footy, like yeah. um, some big runs or some go for some big bike rides and stuff like that, which interests me. And I'm hoping my knee can hold up for that as well. Yeah, well, that's it's yeah. I, I didn't know that you're going to do them them events. What what are you looking to do? Like big hundred k ultra marathons or what, what, what are you looking yeah, to do there? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keen on doing the Ironman, um, yeah. which, I mean, I always say I'm never going to do a marathon, but the Ironman has a marathon in it, so that's <laughs> where I'm going to take the marathon off. But um, I, I would love to do that. That's an incredibly hard work ethic, and I'm not the frame for that. Um, I, don't, I can slim down as much as I can, but I'll still be about 100 kilos, and riding 100 kilos on a bike and running 100 kilos over 42 kilometres Probably won't be ideal, but yeah. um, I'll find something that's a little bit more suited to my body weight and, and try and push myself. And um, yeah, I, I'm as you know, I'm a mad cyclist, keen cyclist, and uh, it's formed into running a little bit. I like running a little bit, um, and I've just got to tick off that swim. I, can't, I just can't, can't stand the pool. It's horrible, isn't it? It's the worst, and then oh. it's it's an ocean swim as well. It makes it ten times as hard, doesn't it? Yeah, at least the ocean swim, you're not staring at the black line and yeah. um, just following the pool. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes it interesting, <laughs> though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least you keep your eyes out, don't you? Um, <laughs> with, all, with all the injuries you had, like uh, it's great now that some players are coming out with some mental health issues and, and actually sticking their hand up and going, you know what, I actually am struggling here. Was there ever a point for you going through them injuries? Because as an 18-year-old, to be... 18, 19 year old for your case and, and injured most of that part out of contract, not sure what's going to happen. Was there any stage of your career where you were like, hold on here, I actually am really struggling? Um, and did you try to, how did you try to keep a decent well being and what did you do for your mental state? Uh, once again, 
uh, I was injured at the right time yeah. for someone. Like I was injured early on in my career, which is not good. Not good if you get delisted or or don't make it because um, you didn't get that opportunity. But I was given opportunity and seen as a tool that had time to develop. So I was injured at the right time. I'd I'd, I'd hate to do two recos late in my career. Yeah. Um, and touch wood that won't happen because that's a whole different kettle of fish getting in, in, injured when that's your occupation and not that it wasn't my occupation when I was 20 but I was 20 like, um, it didn't really matter to me that much but when you um, Lyndon, Lyndon Dunn who's done two Ricos at the end of his career is just trying to get out a couple more games and um, he's got two kids and a wife that he's trying to support and that's yeah. genuine problems um, so when I was a, when I was a young young fella, I literally just told myself, if I wasn't at a football club, I'd be doing this uh, training anyway. I'd I'd be staying fit anyway. Um, I'd try and steer clear from as much meetings as I could when I wasn't playing, and just focus yeah. on training. Um, so if I was on a bike or doing weights for the fiftieth time by myself because I was in rehab, I just would tell myself that I'd be doing this normally. Um, at a fitness first, if I was just at university compared to at a high performance play uh, center at Amy Park and getting paid, and that sort of got me through when I was young. Yeah. Um, in more recent times, uh, I'm I'm a big believer that um, the best person of your of Max Gorn is Max Gorn, and if I can't be, if I'm trying to be someone else, I'm wasting way too much energy. Um, trying to be that person and I've found myself potentially not being myself in my first six years at the football club and trying to be this person that definitely wasn't me and um, it wasn't until I was really comfortable in my skin and comfortable being the person I am that made me be able to get through um, a lot more uh, like tasks around the football club and problem solving and stuff around home and friends and family and it goes all out of football as well. Um, you're able to be yourself. It just frees you up a little bit more. And um, since then, I haven't had any mental demons since I've made that sort of connection just to be my true natural self. But it probably um, it helps that I'm accepted to be myself as well. So it's a place that you're at. Um, I feel like the club that we're at now really accepts people for who they are and allows different characters and, 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 and whatnot as well. So I don't yeah. think I initially walked into a club that accepted different characters and they tried to um, stereotype what a what a professional footballer was and I think that's what I had to deal with when I first got there but since then um, with some help like I've got some, some great influences that have um, turned me into the person I am and they probably won't ever know like uh, I lived with Jack Watts for a year and I was so envious yeah. on how this guy was the happiest guy in the world <laughs> um, he just had not, no problems ever and I realised was, he was just so good at being Jack Watts and I realised that that's simply what you got to do. You got to you got to live your life and live the life that you've been given. Yeah, definitely. I think that that massively resonates with me. That last thing you said about being yourself, being accepting, the football club being accepting. I remember I was the same as you when I first walked into into cricket. I was probably the same, probably not quite yourself. And it's hard, isn't it, with professional environments that. You, you do try to fit into the team, especially when you're probably not a first-team recognised player at the start. You're trying to fit in and earn the respect of the the older and, and the older players. Um, and I think f- for me, walking into Melbourne, that's exactly what I got, especially with the likes of yourself and the leaders, was that 
you walked in, you could be yourself. It wasn't like a I'm playing ones, you're a rookie um, kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I definitely um, can see everything you're speaking about then. Um, and we're, I've, I've been so lucky to, to, to be supported by Mendel, um, my old teammate, your teammate, uh, Mitchie Hannon, uh, with his, his brand and um, Mendel and trying to open up conversations between men's mental health. And I just think it's, it's a bit more open these days for discussion and people, blokes are more open to, to, to come out. Um, have you seen a massive change from, from when you first started at the footy club and in footy in general to what it is now? Uh, in terms of it being a, a safe space to, to speak about um, how you're feeling uh, on, a, on a real deep level, yeah. Um, definitely. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great space to be able to do that. Um, and in terms of people around you being accepting, yeah, that's transformed heaps in 10 years as well. And um, when I first got to the club, we introduced uh, such programs to try and get it out, but we still had um, too many egos that weren't able to break down. Um, and ego just inflates another ego and gets another ego a first-year player is what the club is. So a first-year player just wants to learn and, and get in the culture of what the club is. And if the club's full of egos, you're creating another six e egos and then creating another six egos. And it's not even their fault. Um, so I'm not saying that's where we were, but I'm saying it's gone a long way uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the right way. Um, <clears throat> every little thing you do can influence someone coming to the club. Um, I mean, I've... I could write down 2,000 people that have influenced me one way or another. I remember when I, I was a quiet kid in my first year because, once again, I didn't feel that comfortable. And I said something funny. Um, and Brett Maloney, at the end of the year, just goes, geez, that was funny. I didn't realise you were funny. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I just felt the most comfortable person. I'm like, oh, I've been quiet this whole year thinking I'm not allowed to speak. And then <laughs> this one leader said I was funny and all, all of a sudden I started speaking up. So yeah, it's, and I've got every single person throughout their journey would have influenced me one way or another. And we can influence everyone throughout the day, um, either positively or negatively. You can't influence someone neutrally. So no yeah. matter what you say, it's going to go one way or the other. And um, I feel like that's where our club's gotten great great at which where we we all we're all helping hand we're all good ear um and clubs have invested in this space so we've got a couple of psychologists um one of the best i think if not the best welfare manager in the in in the comp and shannon burns and great, um it's yeah it's, it's just a really safe space of the club now yeah good um back into back in 2016 i think what what's quite amazing with your story is that some players that i found that sort of understand that there's probably a few things they could do to, to reach their potential that you ended up that it, it takes them a few years to understand that they need to probably put a little bit more effort in or, or or change a few things around it takes them a couple of years to reach that pinnacle where with you it happened in 2015 and then 2016 you were an all-australian and and already by the end of that season one of the the prime uh ruckmans in in the competition it's it's incredible um, the quick change that happened. Why? What do you put down to literally being in and out for the first four, five, six years of your career to bang 2016 straight in the team, playing all the games, all Australian? Like that doesn't happen to many people, if ever. 
Yeah, 16 is a bit of a blur. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely came from a sense of belonging in the preseason. Um, one of my highest values is, is that sense of belonging. Um, and I got that uh, with the feeling of being number one ruck and doing the whole preseason throughout preseason. Yeah. Um, and it just it just led to some really good form throughout throughout the year, and the team played a lot better. We missed out on finals um, purely off our own bat, but we lost the last two games of the year, and it was a gross ending to the year, and we missed out on finals. But um, the team played a lot better than what they did in 2015, and we were on the way up, and I had some good people around me, which was good. And, um, I was just riding this high wave of... Um, someone, I don't think I even played my 50th game in that year. I think I was still under 50 games by the time I got to the end of 2016. And um, I, was just, I was just loving life. And um, yeah, that's, I'd, I'd put it down to just that sense of belonging. Being finally felt like I um, was able to be at that level um, and uh, play week in, week out and not have my spot under jeopardy every single week. And, um, and I and I had a real test early on. I think it went uh, Shane Mumford into Tom Bell Chambers into Todd Goldstein in the first <laughs> three weeks. So I had a real big like eye opener of these yeah. guys are three of the best rucks, and I've been thrown in the deep end and I've held my own in all three games. Maybe yeah. I can do this. So it's probably the confidence side as well. Yeah, I think uh, funny that you say that because I saw a I saw a study actually not too long ago that says. Uh, the way that the only way that male sportsmen, professional sportsmen, can perform is they have to have a sense of belonging to perform. So it, yep. it's quite strange, isn't it, the way that that um, that males actually can't perform until they feel like they belong in a group. Um, but I think yep. with with you, I think you you haven't looked back since that that 2016 <laughs> season and um, 2017, 18, 19, all Australians and. Um, and Bluey and Keith Blue Scott, Bluey True Scott uh, medalists as well in that time. And uh, one thing that pops out for me is that 2018, I remember it um, pretty well. You guys looked like you were going to play in a grand final. You you were going that well, and you just met a good team in in West Coast. And compared to last year, where you've gone from playing in the semi final to nearly playing off for a wooden spoon, if if Marty Hall didn't kick that goal in the last couple of seconds, what? Obviously, you're probably you're probably sick of this question by now. And um, what is there something that do you think that it's something pinpointed or defined in the, the different seasons about how Melbourne went, or do you think it's more of a injuries? You start losing a couple of games, media's on your back, and you just forget how to how to win, and it's almost like the luck goes against you. Uh, yeah, there's so many things have been thrown out. And- yeah. I'm not sure personally which one I believe. I, I, I definitely know that we just didn't improve. We were the same team yeah. in 18 that we were in 19, and you need to improve. You, you have to improve. Um, we just thought potentially our game plan was going to take us exactly where we were in 18, and we're going to take it right into 19 and, and mix that with some key injuries. We, we definitely had some key injuries yeah. um, to some players, including... Um, majority of our salary cap in Jake Lever and Steve May um, <laughs> were both were both out for majority of the year, um, which 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 definitely hurt us. Um, and then I don't buy into the preseason stuff, but um, the more and more people presented to me, I, I do see the numbers weren't great. But 
Um, Richmond didn't have a great preseason either. They started yeah. in December and had some key people missing as well. So Games um, not I don't necessarily correct. I don't necessarily yeah. buy into the poor preseasons, and I've yeah. seen players have unbelievable seasons off the back of zero preseasons. Um, so I, I, I base it purely on. Um, from coaches and players, we just sat on that form will take us into next year. Not yeah. that we didn't try. We worked our ass off in preseason, trained all year throughout the year trying to get better. But we just missed that slight little bit of mental, uh, that mental switch to improve again. Yeah. Something for me being on the outside a little bit and being able to look inside to the club was one thing that I, I saw with you was that I think the way that the media perceives you is is that sort of fun-loving character that's got a bit of time for everyone, you know, is, a, is a funny man. But I think I saw an, an extra side to you that um, I knew that you were a good leader, but I think in adversity when the club was really, really struggling and on its knees and um, I came to a few sessions on maybe Saturday morning or something and the way that you got around the boys and try to um, lead them to to try and finish the year off quite strong was something that I haven't really seen in a leader before. And I've seen a lot of leaders between cricket and footy. Um, it's something that really did stick out to me. And I, th- I think you're a great leader. Um, what is your mindset around what makes a good leader? And um, how, how do you try to um, sort of get people up to try and achieve the, the same outcome? Yeah, the nice words, guy. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning leadership as as I go, and um, it it does come relatively natural to me to be a loud extra extrovert, which always helps as a leader. Um, I think to to make sure um, that they're, they're talking at all at all times and um, being that real senior figure. Um, but there's there's a whole lot more to it, and um, I've touched on it a little bit in this interview, but. Um, ex- making people be themselves, um, be the best version of themselves, um, is is one of my goals. Uh, not only as people, but um, as 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 players. And I mean, it normally comes hand in hand. If you're being the best version of yourself as a person, you're most likely playing the best footy as well. But yeah, um, I feel like that creates a very safe space and a great performing place uh, for a, for a football club. I'm also big on how past players speak about our club as well. Um, I've got a lot of guys purely because we've been a poor team for a long time that have no longer at this football club, um, and I'd say half of them speak quite poorly about the football club just because of potentially the culture, potentially um, the cards they were dealt when they. Um, left, but the, in 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 the last few years, um, we've definitely had more players that have left that, are, that that speak positively and still Melbourne supporters. And you want to see Jordan Lewis and Bernie Vince be Melbourne supporters, not Adelaide and Hawthorne. You want to yeah. you want to keep these guys because it shows there was there was a, there was a good culture and um, there was coaches and staff and 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 leaders um, all leading the way. And that's that's one of the goals that I have: just create a real safe space that people like. Um, happy to be themselves. Uh, the best version of Christian Petraka we're going to get is Christian Petraka, yeah. not Christian trying to be this stereotypical footballer that people might have been telling him to do when he was 19, 20. Like, he's just got to play with that flair that he has because that's the best version we're going to get. And um, I feel like because I've found that in myself that um, I should be able to lead that in the right way to the majority of the guys. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um the way that, that people see it. And um, I think one thing for me is 
something that you have as a leader that I I haven't seen in a lot of leaders is that a lot of a lot of even good leaders they they have relationships with a certain amount of players whether that's their own age age whether that's their own um, teammates in the ones or whatever but your ability to have that trust and relationship with the whole football club it could be um, you're now considered a veteran of the club and you would still be have a great relationship with a James Jordan that might have came in in last year is that something that you try to make sure that you do have good relationships and and you're approachable for real young kids that are coming into the system yeah deep deep down i've got this insecurity of worrying what people think of me so it's very very deep down and i i one of my things that i absolutely hate is if is if that person was saying that he gives me nothing like i i would i would despise that and i've hated it in the past um i've gotten a little bit older a bit more mature and it doesn't really spring up too much anymore um and yeah i've grown up a tiny bit but yeah um i think it's from my value of that sense of belonging and what i got dealt when i first got to the club um being a very very timid man uh timid boy at that at, at that time and realizing how long it took me um to grow up you can fast track these kids if they feel comfortable in their own skin and um comfortable in their own skin is being able to talk to the 30 year olds on the list and it's something nathan jones is really good at as well now and um, I feel yeah. like we do have a good core group of old, of older players, but the last thing you want is frictions within that group. Yeah, and, um, yeah I, I, <laughs> I think it is um, just that value yeah. and sense of belonging that I have that I just like to involve every single person. My my happy place would be if all forty two players were at the same bar having having a beer together. Like that really that really happens um, these these days because there's 42 different people there. Like they're, they're very few and far between. Some of them don't like going to a bar. Some of them don't like leaving their own house. Some of them would rather be at Revs. Like it's just, there's just this different crew of 42 players. That, that would be my happy, happy place if all 42 people got to yeah, the same spot yeah, and join each other. Um, life away from sport, I think you'll probably, even though this gets taken the mickey out of a little bit between athletes and I don't think it's something that athletes do well enough. Um, but we, there's more and more talks these days around people coming in telling you that you should make sure that your, uh, your athlete brand is, is out there and that you can create opportunities for yourself. And I think you, you, so many athletes these days are a little bit scared of the media. They don't want to show personality. They want to steer clear. Um, one thing that me being on the outside now and, and seeing the way that you actually, I, I want to see a bit of personality in the media. I want to see uh, someone get interviewed and have a little bit of a laugh or a little bit of a joke. And it's something that you've done incredibly well um, is build your brand and straight away there's people recognize you. Um, is that something that you've tried to do or is that just something you've just been, like you said, you've been yourself and that's including the media? Uh, in, in 2012, that year I got injured, um, I got thrown a microphone by DTV. They made me create a segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. Um, and I interviewed players around the club for 60 seconds, as you can imagine, in the name. And um, majority of it was humorous questions. And it was quite a funny segment. Well, at least I thought it was. And um, it, actually, it actually made me really comfortable in front of a microphone and really comfortable in front of a TV and realised that, um, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm going on about this, but being yourself in... in in front of the camera is what is what people enjoy and um 
Yeah, and then I actually ended up in 2012. This is phenomenal. But I was a I was a I was a player at the club in my third year, and I was hosting functions. I was emceeing functions, like because I was I was injured and and I was going to do some stuff. And I actually flew with the team to Sydney for a game, and hosted the yeah. the hosted the Melbourne members function at the at, at the SCG before the game. Um, so I was doing some. I was doing some stuff for the club that actually made me feel real comfortable um, with the person I was um, portraying to members and uh, supporters and, and whatnot. And that's made me feel comfortable in that area from then on. Um, I, I find myself boring to listen to back, but that's probably because I say the same things to different audiences and whatnot. But um, you have to have fun with the media yeah. because they will take you down as soon as they can if you're not. And, um, if you say the wrong the wrong thing, they're going to be the first on to you. But if you have a laugh about it, or or or, or show that it's lighthearted and you're actual yeah. human being that yeah. you're talking to, like you're talking to a human being that has emotions, it tends to go a little bit better. You tend to have a much better inter- in- interview with both you and the person <laughs> inter- interviewing you. And um, I've had some bad days as well, and um, I've had some times yeah. where I've said the wrong things and 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 prone to the prone to the wolves. But yeah. um, you you learn as you go, and I encourage everyone just to. I reckon you, when you first get to the club, don't even tell a first year player how to speak to the club, how to speak to the media. Just throw them a mic and see how they go. If they struggle and they look like they're going to say some in house team tactics and maybe and maybe pop the sponsors and and really go pear-shaped, then throw them a couple of lists and show them how to actually do the interview. But if they come out with some natural gold and you don't want to clean that up, we're going to just get more characters in the game. Yeah, I 100% agree. With your with your businesses, you've done you've done really well. What so you've got the bearded jaffle East End wine bar. You've let go of the the tables. Um, unfortunately, is there anything else? that you've had on your list as a business or anything that you're starting up but you, you, and you sold the Beauty Jaffel as well, didn't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, my, my brother now runs a Beauty Jaffel uh, by himself. Um, yeah. Purely, uh, I'm interested in more things as well down the path and um, I think it was the right time just to hand it over to him and we build it up enough uh, together and um, it's now his journey, uh, which I'm excited for him to, to take part in. But, um, I've still got the wine bar, which um, which is back to normal. COVID uh, cooked it for a bit, and it was a glorified bottle over for a little bit. But um, it's now back to being a wine bar. We can get, I think it's eight people in the front room, 15 in the middle room, and eight in the back courtyard or something like that. And um, it's 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 back trading. So I'm glad with that. And I've got more things I'm interested in down. Uh, hopefully get a few things up and going before I finish footy and um yeah it, it's it's a great platform to have uh been a been a footballer because you do have one you do have some free time um and two you are paid quite well um uh even at the even at the bottom wage um especially when you're 18 19 you you're, you're paid more than your mates so um it's a it's a it's a great occupation to have um as much as the other stresses come and um, everyone always says I'd, I'd play footy for free or I'd, I'd give my left arm to play to play footy. But yeah, you would, but it is our occupation and we are working 24-7 for this. So um, we do call it our job. Um, and 
I, yeah, I've got some things. I'm really interested in health and fitness for some reason because I used to hate health, health and fitness. Um, but now I'm really passionate about it. Um, I'm not sure if I might go down that path as well. Yeah, good. How did that, how did that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit come? Is that, is that something you've always had or is that just something that when you had a little bit of time off with injuries, you started looking into businesses and understanding that actually I want to start something and try Is there any mentors that you've had or courses that you've done or have you just jumped straight into it? Uh, I think it's all mum, mama gone. Um, yeah. She, uh, she's, well, both my parents are entrepreneurs. I run their own business. Um, but mum's the hospitality side. She uh, started, yeah. uh, is this a, I think she's on her third cafe now, but her first one um, was when I was, she was actually initially, she was the canteen lady at school. Um, which is oh, yeah. which is actually great. So that means she's fed me from zero to eighteen, literally every meal, breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner, because she followed me to school and cooked me lunch. Um, so <laughs> she she can claim every little bit of this height because she fed me every bit of food. Um, yeah. So she started a cafe, and I worked for her, and I've just watched her grow into um, a, actually a really good, uh, smart hosp- hospitality uh, lady. She's 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 very good at what she does, and um, I think that's where the passion for both hospitality and entrepreneurial came um, purely from her. And my old man has worked his ass off to get his business going as well. And um, I think that's where yeah. potentially the work ethic came from as well. I'm not saying mum didn't work hard, but the work ethic came from probably dad yeah. and the creative side came from mum. Yeah. Well, mate, it's, a, it's been a pleasure to have you on and, and to share a bit of your journey and um, some of the things you've been, you've been um, through. But it's. I'm looking forward to seeing where where the demons get to the next couple of years and um, also yourself as well. Good luck with everything uh, that you've got going on and um, thank you for being so open and uh, joining me. Thanks, mate. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in to the episode with Max. I hope you got a lot out of it and I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you've got any questions or want to check any of the other episodes out, head over to theathletediaries.net. Stay safe, guys. (laughs) 